Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. In case this is the first time that you've heard this podcast, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. Uh, ben, you have a bunch of bylines all over the internet, so why don't you refresh our listeners where they can read some of your stuff? You can find me at Autoblog, New York Daily News, Autoguide, I used to write for Roadkill, and a European Car, and a whole bunch of others. Yeah, and I myself have just been on one uh, website, that's Autoguide, but we have a bunch of different avenues for our content, uh, YouTube page, the articles, even in the Toronto Star's wheel section, which is pretty cool. But today, Ben and I are going to talk to you about a bunch of new cars, some old cars, actually, and um, I think you guys are going to have some fun, because Ben has a very fancy car with three very special letters. A-M-G. Well, Always my favorite. I, I think it's a car that wants to be very fancy. I don't know if I would call it very fancy. It may, maybe more like fancy light, Sammy? Fancy the, light, because what you have is the CLA 45 AMG. And this is a very interesting car. It's like the entry-level version of... Well, I don't even know what to say anymore, because there's so many more AMG models than there used to be, if you consider those, like the C43 AMG. Is that a real AMG? Yeah, because that's... Because you have the one-engine, one-man mandate whatever it is i don't know what it you know what i'm talking about yeah that's a really good point i mean it, it, it used to be that amg meant a very specific thing usually a ton of horsepower and pretty decent handling and now it, it it's become like bmw m we've talked about this in the past where you know you have m and then you have m performance and you have m packages and it, it all adds up to sometimes just cosmetics sometimes mm -hmm. um a little bit more power or stiffer suspension that kind of thing but the, the cla 45 AMG or Mercedes AMG CLA 45. However, the nomenclature has it today. This is this is intended as a legitimate AMG car, and what I mean by that is, I don't think it has the one person one engine philosophy. I don't think that that applies to the turbo four cylinder that this car has, but it has everything else. It, it's intended as a complete package that's noticeably different from the standard version of the CLA. And mission accomplished in terms of that. I mean, this car drives nothing like a CLA 250. Absolutely nothing like it. That's very important because, I I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here and tell you that the CLA, the regular CLA 250, is one of the least refined vehicles with a luxury badge on it. I'm going to be careful about what I say about the CLA 250 <laughs> because it's caused some issues in the past. I am not a huge fan of that vehicle. Like Sammy said, it is not a refined car. It doesn't necessarily feel like a Mercedes-Benz in the same way that uh, an Audi A3 still feels like an Audi or a BMW 2 Series still feels like a BMW. I feel like mm -hmm. something was lost in the translation of the Mercedes-Benz formula to the entry-level uh, subcompact that the CLA represents. But when they made the AMG version, they really went out of their way to make sure that that didn't repeat. Like, right. this this doesn't feel like they just dumped a quicker motor, or sorry, a more powerful engine under the hood of a CLA. It feels like they engineered an entire system around it, and that's really to the car's benefit. And you know what? It better be an entire <laughs> system, because this thing costs 53000 Sammy? Yeah, 50, it starts at 53000 before uh, destination delivery and before you add any packages. Uh, and, which, and that's 22000 um, more than a base CLA. There's a huge yeah. gap here. A so, base all-wheel drive CLA. I mean, it's actually $20,000 altogether over a front-wheel drive version that you can get in the United States. So that's that's incredible. That, that this is a uh, I mean you have to really want this car. You have to really like the styling of the CLA, and there are a lot of people that do. It's got that small. I mean Mercedes calls it a four door coupe with the sloping roof line in the back. It's 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 very compact. It, it calls out to the CLS at the same time as it calls out to the S class, and it's it's mm. it's got a lot of what you would expect in terms of Mercedes-Benz styling cues. I mean when you drive it, and when people look at you, they know you're in a Mercedes-Benz. So it's got that down pat. Uh, right. and, and what the AMG does, it turns up the aggression of it. I mean, the front end's got a whole bunch of more cooling, so you've got great big vents and stuff like you'd expect mm. to see in a performance car. It's got a little wing in the back, and the rear bumper's more aggressive, too. It's got nicer rims. It's it's really, I mean, it, it's not over the top, especially I, my tester was in a silver color, and it, it's not, not exactly anonymous, but it's not as uh, crazy as it would be if it was in black or, or red or something like that. But uh, you do notice it. I mean, it is a noticeable car. 
Now, actually, I wanted to correct you real quickly, and I don't mean to do this maliciously or anything. I'm not trying to call you out in front of all of our listeners, but it actually does have a handcrafted four-cylinder engine. It's, oh, okay. So I, I don't know if it's built in the same place, but it is, it, according to Mercedes press material, it's a handcrafted uh, motor, which I think is pretty important. Um, and it should have a, 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 sign, a signature on it, right? Um, so maybe later on you can post a photo of that guy's signature and we can forge it for like mortgage applications and stuff. <laughs> I'm sure that, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> your, your mortgage has been approved, Mr. Mercedes. Or is that Mr. Daimler? I, Daimler, I can't, I can't read this. It's, so, it's like a third generation photocopy. Also, why are you applying for a British mortgage? <laughs> I just um, I have just alienated a significant portion of our listeners. I'm sure they'll be back once they hear what else we have to say about this thing. Uh, I wanted to talk specifically about two very important parts of the car: the dual clutch transmission and the all-wheel drive system. So I want to start with the all-wheel drive sec- uh, system. Okay, this is a vehicle that features a an AMG application of its all-wheel drive system, where it goes, uh, from what I understand, from a stop. It sends power split between the front and rear wheels 50-50, but it will very quickly send 100% of the power to the front wheels until there's slip, which is a very, I don't know, it doesn't sound like a very uh, performance-based all-wheel drive system. Well, you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's funny you should mention that because there were times when I was driving the car and I gunned it, gunned it a little bit, like nothing crazy, but the, the front wheels definitely spun. And, and you're not going to notice that in most all-wheel drive performance cars. Most of them have yeah. the whole power management thing down pretty good. But you can catch this car by surprise off the line. And even when you're cruising, let's say you're just rolling at maybe five, seven miles an hour or something like that, if you hammer the gas, you can spin the front tires too. Okay, so then let's talk about that when you're when you're just rolling and you hit the gas. Now, are you in a manual mode or are you letting the car do uh, the shifting for I'm, you? I'm in probably when that happened. I was in a sport plus mode or maybe race okay. mode, one of those two. Because with the more pedestrian CLA and even the new A class, the A the transmission, which is a dual clutch transmission, I think it has seven speeds, is it's it's. A little clumsy sometimes. I think that's the best way to put it. It um, is the worst part of the car. Yeah. The seven-speed, regardless of whether you're driving the regular CLA or the AMG version, it remains the weak link in this vehicle. And it's it's much, much, much better in the AMG. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason for that is there's so much extra torque from this <laughs> engine. No, it, it's torque is, is the great smoother when you, when, it fixes all problems. It fixes all transmission problems. If you've got a bulky transmission uh, attached to a high-strung four-cylinder engine that doesn't make a lot of torque, you really notice it. But then let's say you double the amount of torque that engine makes, and all of a sudden things are a little more, uh, I guess, acceptable is the word I would use. It, it has 350 pound-feet of torque. That's um, a lot. That's actually yeah. a lot. It, it is a lot, and and it 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 helps so much with this seven-speed. But there are times again, and this is much more prominent in the base CLA, but where you're you're at a light and you, you dip into the throttle and nothing happens, mm. and the car does not advance. The car revs a little bit, and then it's like the transmission engages and you move forward. With this car, the 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 amount of time between uh, rev and engagement is much much lower, but you mm. can notice it from time to time. In the regular CLA, you notice it constantly, but in this yeah. car, it's 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 much improved. And that's really troubling, in my opinion. Um, when there's a feedback loop, like a really slow feedback loop, especially on. A, on on a somewhat sporty or premium vehicle, you don't want to be second guessing what's happening. And that happens quite a lot with the CLA. The new A-Class doesn't have that off the line as much as the old C-Class had. Uh, and I, I can't wait for you to drive this and or at least to have a week in the new A-Class. It's worth pointing out that in Canada, it'll come both as a sedan and a hatchback, while the United States uh, will only get it as a sedan. But so far, there hasn't been an AMG um, version of the vehicle uh, mentioned yet so i really hope that they don't kill off the cla 45 or whatever a class or whatever its successor will be because i think it was a very interesting it is a very interesting car and it deserves a successor i i i don't think we're gonna see an amg a class I, I i just don't necessarily know what the market would be for that i mean if you look at the cla it's so much more expensive than the base cla the cla sells so well because it's a great affordable way to get a Mercedes badge in your driveway. Mm-hmm. And uh, the leasing payments are very reasonable. And once you step up in price to what the AMG has to offer, I think that most people would probably be looking at a C-Class at that point. 
I'm not sure. I mean, I think that these kind of premium hot hatches are still quite popular. I mean, we know the S3 and the M235 and the even the M2 and the RS3. Those are popular cars, too, and people quite like them, too. And it's the, nice to have that um, option out there for people, who, like the enthusiast who doesn't want to get the base model as well. It's interesting that you mentioned those cars because in terms of performance, the CLA45 is right in the middle of the RS3 and the M2. So the RS3 0 to 60 is about three and a half seconds. The wow, M2, that's fast. <laughs> it's super fast. The uh, the M2 is 4.1, okay. and the CLA45 is 3.8. That kind of makes sense. I mean, the, the AMG is all-wheel drive, the M2 is rear-wheel drive, and the, um, what's the name of the other one? The, the RS3. The, the RS3 has five cylinders, and that's cool. It so. is cool, and it has a little <laughs> bit more. It has a little bit more power too than the right. than the CLA forty five. I mean, uh, the 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 M two is kind of on the outside looking in. It's it's down ten horses. It has rear wheel drive exclusively, uh, which is fine with me. But uh, when you're when you're launching off the line, you do give up a little bit of traction most of the time in that configuration. In, mm. in terms of emotion, I think of those three cars, the M two comes out ahead just because it's more of a visceral car to drive. The RS3 yeah. has a little more emotion as well because the five-cylinder sounds amazing. It and... does, and it's a very well-sorted-out car. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have the the hesitation, the hiccups that the AMG has in that in that transmission. Yeah, it's a more refined car. The, the CLA45, it, again, it, it's kind of... It doesn't necessarily have an emotional connection with the driver. It's it's very quick. I mean, it is it is exceptionally quick. It handles fairly well. I in race mode, the exhaust makes all kinds of crazy pops and and whatnot. But they're very programmed. It, it's it, you know that what's happening is because an engineer has decided this is how the car should sound at this RPM. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's a managed experience. I think that AMG did a really good job with what they were given. I think that this chassis presented probably many challenges to them in terms of creating the traditional AMG experience, and for the most part, they pulled it off with this car. Uh, I still have issues with the CLA platform overall. Um, okay. There's there's no room in the rear seat. I, oh I'm, yeah, and the trunk. I mean, yeah. it's not a completely oh, practical vehicle. No, what for the trunk you can fold. The trunk's actually oh, pretty here big. We go. I, Let me hear this. No, Did so, you fold the rear seats and put some tires in there? Okay, first of all, there's nothing wrong with moving tires. Okay, <laughs> tires need to go from point A to point B, and that's the end of that story. But I actually, I had a, a pop-up tent that we use at the racetrack that uh, is, I don't know, five, six feet in, in, no, it's not that, it's probably four to five feet when it's folded down and in its bag. And I had to move it. And I, I folded the rear seat of the CLA down, expecting to need that, but it actually fitted the trunk diagonally. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I was really surprised by that. Maybe but, I'm mistaken about the rear, the, the trunk space. But yeah, those those rear the seats. The rear seats are... themselves, with the seats up. If I, I'm five eight on a good day, if I sit in that rear seat, my head touches the ceiling. Yeah, oh my god. I mean, I'm not a tall person. I have a quote unquote long torso. But, uh, <laughs> which is apparently a thing, but, um, yeah, it, it, I don't fit in the Didn't back of the Didn't we determine that here on the podcast? Didn't I call you out for that? You might have. You're always mocking my long torso and my giant hand, but, uh... <laughs> One the... <laughs> giant hand. <laughs> my lobster claw. But, um, no, it's, it's, it's not livable for adults in the back, so you gotta be okay with that. I mean, the M2 doesn't really have a backseat either. The Audi's larger... It's a two-door, so, I mean, you don't really anticipate needing to use those. No, I know, but I'm just saying, if you're cross-shopping them and you're okay with the M2 being a coupe, then you're probably okay with the CLA not having a backseat. <laughs> but uh, I think it's more of an issue for the regular CLA than it is the AMG version. But uh, just keep that in mind. If, if you plan on using this daily, uh, if you have young kids, they'll probably fit in the back. I don't know how easy it'll be to put a car seat back there. But if you have adult friends and you want to go out together, we are probably taking someone else's car. Yeah. Um, one of the things I also don't like about the, the CLA, though, is the materials inside of it are not at all very premium. And I find myself really unhappy with the way I feel in the seats. My elbows, where my elbows touch, my hands touch, always feels a little bit lower, lower grade than what I come to expect with anything over $50,000, that's for sure. And not to mention something with a Mercedes brand. Uh, yeah, it's, it is... Again, like we said earlier, the refinement that you find in other small luxury cars just isn't present in the CLA, and some of that translates up to the AMG, where I think most of the extra money you're spending is going into the performance, which is really, really good. I, this is a very quick car. Uh, it, it, I think that some people take a look at the 
the CLA and they say, oh, it's like a luxury version of the WRX STI. It's It's <laughs> got more power and it's got, you know, the Mercedes badge and it's got the nicer interior. I don't think that's accurate. I feel like the there's a lot more engagement going on when you're driving an STI. First of all, I mean, an STI manual transmission. Like, yeah. And, uh, sometimes an STI can feel like a truck, though, like can feel like a tractor at times. I so. don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I agree with that. But um, I, I think that it, it's you can't really necessarily compare this car with vehicles that are more affordable and, mm-hmm. and look at it as a progression. I think it's its own thing. I think this whole segment of like, hot entry level subcompact luxury cars is its own thing i even you know like a car like a golf r at times feels more refined than a cla 45 and that's kind of weird that's that's a weird thing very much so in fact that new that new civic type r feels much more refined in in some ways i don't know i i I think the type r is kind of clunky too in in, yeah in in regular driving i don't think it really shines interesting Um, I think the I golf. I think the golf R is a much more comfortable daily driver and more mm. just easier to drive quickly than than the Type R. But uh, I don't think I think on a track, obviously things really shift in the Type R's um, favor. Yeah, but that has a lot to do with tires as well. Yeah, um, and maybe some weight. But you know what, the CLA isn't uh, overly heavy. I think it's about thirty five hundred pounds. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of an interesting car. I mean, I came in not liking the regular CLA. And this car did not. It, this car showed me that you know the platform. The, it, it's not irredeemable. It it, it has um, its place in the Mercedes lineup, and this is an interesting vehicle that Mercedes chose to build. It, it's it's totally unlike any other AMG in the lineup. Period. I mean, right. I haven't I haven't driven the GLA. Is there an AMG version of the GLA? Yeah, there is. It's yeah. not much different. Yeah. So I assume that those two vehicles, given that it's the same platform and drivetrain, are very very similar. But aside from that, it's it's a unique. Uh, entry. I mean, you're not. It's nothing at all like a even a C43 AMG or the C63. There's just nothing comparable between these vehicles. Do you like what they've done with the engine? The engine is good. The transmission is our issue. We said. What about the noise? It sounds good. It, it sounds okay. As I Does mentioned it sound earlier, like an AMG. No, it sounds like a managed four cylinder. I, I would have liked it. It has a so it has an exhaust button, which I think is great. I think all performance cars should either be loud all the time or have an exhaust button. I don't want to have to go into various drive modes to figure things out. Just right. let me push a button so it can be loud. But on the AMG, when you push the button, it gets louder. But if you put it in race mode, it gets like even louder and it does the whole pops <laughs> and cracks and stuff. You can't okay. reliably get those outside of that mode. So that's a bit frustrating. I mean, oh. it's like a multi-stage, <laughs> multi-stage <laughs> exhaust, I, if that makes sense. I, I just want it to be loud. I want to be the guy everyone hates in my neighborhood for a week when in I'm the driving. Mercedes. Yeah, when I'm driving this car. The small Mercedes. Yeah. Um, you, so this is a real... I mean, I actually have genuine curiosity about what the what the future for this CLA or this, this, this affordable AMG has. Well, like, affordable with an asterisk. Right. But, I mean, you seem uninterested in having that conversation. Whoa, what does they, that mean? <laughs> well, I mean, you're not sure if they're going to put a, a, a 45 or an AMG spec version of the new A-Class out well, there. Well, I haven't driven it, so I, I can't really – I don't really know anything about the A-Class other than what you've told me. Um, I just, what would you like to see in a future AMG uh, – CLA 45 AMG? Assuming if there's a new generation, what would you like to see them fix? I think they have to fix the transmission, the steering, and the driver engagement. But I don't think that will happen. Steering? You didn't seem to like the steering? Well, it's a front-wheel drive platform. It's going to have limitations on the steering, especially on a car that weighs 3,500 pounds. Uh, but none of those things are going to happen. I mean, it, it, this will never be a driver's car. That's not what it's for. And that's fine. This is a marketing tool. For AMG, it gets people into the AMG family, and then hopefully they buy a C or an E. And that makes total sense. And uh, it's quick in a straight line, and it's stylish. And these are things I think that AMG is valuing in a customer right now. I, right. AMG, even we, we talked this summer about the C63 and how that's not really a pure performance car either. So if, Oh, if yeah, that, with its predictive stability control. I yeah, forgot so about that. If that's the case, then I don't expect the CLA to be picking up, you know, doing the heavy lifting on a racetrack. I think this is this is a uh, a status vehicle, and that's fine. I mean, they, they can – there's no reason – there's place for that in the market is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Um, do you think it needs more power? No, I don't think so. Well, too bad it's going to get more power. What? 
That's according to some rumors um, from at least about a year ago that the next generation CLA 45 will top 400 horsepower. You have year-old rumors about the CLA rattling around in your head? No, I'm looking at some some (laughs) notes right now. Um, And that's really interesting because if I remember correctly, at the time that the AMG was – the the CLA 45 AMG was um, released or revealed, it had the most powerful 2-liter turbocharged engine. Um, on the market, and now they're they're going to try to push it up to 400 horsepower, which would be pretty wild. Um, completely unnecessary, and who knows whether or not the platform can handle 400 ponies, right? Well, it, I mean, it's not a huge boost. It's 25 extra horsepower. It would, it would put them up with what the RS3 already has, so... But the RS3 does it with a five-cylinder, I mean... Yeah, I'm just saying, like, spec sheet to spec sheet, that's, that's yeah. probably why they're doing it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting, I think you're right. The, the 250 was, uh, was a serious issue in the, in the Mercedes Benz lineup. It did, it was not premium in any way. And the 45 makes me remember that that platform isn't, or that, that Mercedes knows what to do with a, or can know what to do with a small car. Now, it, it, when talking about small premium vehicles, there is something else that I drove this week. Mm-hmm. That has really, really caught my attention, and we've talked about it on the podcast in the past, but that rarely happens. No cars really have, get like grab you with such force. Yes, I am a dead rock-like creature. You are. With, You're with absolutely. <laughs> I approach the world with a stern and unbending gaze. No, I remember what is this? Uh, Nissan 370Z. <laughs> I am unimpressed. <laughs> my name is Ben Hunting. <laughs> You're so cruel with your words. They they cut me to the quick, Sammy. Oh, but I'm just so sorry. I'm trying to do. I was trying to do an artful segue, and then you totally derailed that. So I'm just going to oh, dive. Keep going. I'm going to dive. No, what's the point? I'm just going to dive right into it. I had a Volvo XC40 in my oh, driveway. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it's it was a base model. I mean, it wasn't a total base model because in in Canada they they I believe they all have all wheel drive. Is that correct, Sammy? Uh. So there yes. is a t- there is a t- why would I know that because you live know. in can you live in Canada so do you yeah but I don't I don't, I don't you follow. threw me under the bus listen to all these listeners they're like yeah Sammy what do you what yeah come on Sammy where are you instant at? disappointment <laughs> okay the reason the reason I mention that is because there there are two I'm gonna say it's a base model even though it's not because there's there's a T4 version of the Volvo XC40 that comes with a 187 horsepower four cylinder, and then there's the T5 version of that car that comes with a 250 horsepower four cylinder engine. But right. the difference the difference is one of them's front wheel drive, one of them's all wheel drive. It's only two grand, so you pay two thousand dollars to get all wheel drive, and you get a, a, a significant amount of extra power. A but good at the deal. Same, I like that. It is a good deal. But uh, when I say base model, it's because it's the momentum trim, which is the same for both. It's it's okay. it's not a hugely featured vehicle, and um, this is probably the vehicle most people are going to buy. If what you, uh, is missing on this vehicle? I mean, if it, it, it is four thousand dollars cheaper than the most expensive version of the T, of the XC40, mm-hmm. uh, the inscription. I'm not sure how many people are buying that, but uh, which is that's almost forty thousand dollars. So this is kind of the sweet spot. And I've driven the car before at the launch in Barcelona last year in December. And I liked it then, but driving it for a week, doing the regular stuff that I do every week with with press cars or just in my life, really cemented my opinion of the vehicle in a way that was totally unexpected. Okay. Um, let's keep going here. What do you mean? Uh, you you did enjoy it in, uh, in, the, in the launch event. I remember it was Barcelona you just said, and I remember seeing some gorgeous photos from there. Um, this, I mean, first of all, I really like this car too, but I think I like it for different reasons. The reason I like it is unlike other compact and affordable crossovers that are just, I don't know, they like point to one item on like a more expensive version of, of, let's say a Volvo, right? This could have just been like a a compact car and it might've had like one feature that the XC60 and XC90 have. And then that's it. And Volvo can be like, yeah, see, it's the same thing. It's got the it's got the same infotainment system. Look at that. But in my opinion, the XC40 goes far beyond than just having this one element. It feels like a premium product through and through. It feels like they actually cared about what was going on the entire package rather than it just being an affordable product that points to a more a even more premium vehicle. Um, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. So no, I, I understand. Thing what- is, 
I understand what you're saying because you don't like the X3 and the uh, GLC because – the Q3. Oh, my God. And um, don't even get Because the inside of those vehicles, the the cabin that you get with them just does not feel like like a luxury car. It It doesn't feel like anything else in that brand's lineup. It feels so terrible. They feel like they were built to a price. Right. And the the XC40 does not feel that way. It feels like you're just driving a smaller version of one of Volvo's three SUVs. Which are very I mean, good. Yeah. And and uh, it's comfortable. And the interior, it doesn't just feel upscale. And, and keep in mind, I'm driving the Momentum, which is like, it's just the regular, this is the, the, the lowest level you can get in terms of interior furnishing. And it had nice leather. Mm-hmm. Everything I touched felt good. It, it still has the infotainment system that I think is way over the top. Right, the um, census, which census, has all of these extra small buttons that you've got to they're like. They're not, they're not, it. they're not extra small buttons. It's just a huge screen with tiny, tiny text on it and tiny right. push things on it. Uh, there's very few buttons on it. That's my, that's one of my two major complaints with the car. But um, on the outside, it looks outstanding. The, the, so many SUVs and crossovers are boring as molasses to look at. They're just lumpy, kind of curvy shapes of metal. I think. Uh, the, one of the exceptions is probably the the new Infinity, mm-hmm. the, uh, the that we both talked about the QX50. Uh, but aside from that, I mean the Audi, the Xs from BMW, they all kind of look the same. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not attractive vehicles. The Volvo looks completely different from everything else. It has its own style. You can get it in cool colors, which is mm-hmm. you know I don't know if anyone's going to order them because SUVs are not typically ordered for style, but they're there if you want them. And I found myself just constantly looking at the vehicle, like walk, looking at it while I walked away from it. And I can't think of another small SUV I've driven that has had that kind of effect on me. And um, I also want to point out that it is not at all sporty to drive. It it drives very smoothly. The, the automatic start-stop system can be totally disabled, which I appreciate. <laughs> and uh, it's got 248 horsepower is more than enough for the weight of this vehicle. Right. Um. But I never felt like I wanted to like thrash it or throw it hard through a corner or something, and and that's cool because who cares about any of that with an SUV? No one should be doing that with an entry level SUV. It, right. it, there's no point. It's these are not designed to be fun. The, it, Volvo really understood that people are going to be driving this every day. We need it to be useful and comfortable and not put them to sleep. And I think that the XC40 does all of those things. And Sammy, I hauled eight tires in it. <laughs> Four of which were mounted on rims. Oh my god! With the seats down, with no problems. Wonderful. I mean, what more can you really ask for out of a vehicle <laughs> than than schlepping tires with the greatest of ease? I mean, I truly believe that you're onto something. There's like, what automaker has their cars and says we're not making a sporty version of it? Even Lexus. Lexus, who used to be the 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 car that you could point your your grandmother and grandfather to and be like, look, that's going to be comfortable for you. Now they're these stiff, they're like these super stiff vehicles as well. And not only that, but they look insane. And <laughs> the Volvo is now like really, it's it's filling in that void. It's it's really comfortable. It's soft. It's usable on an everyday like uh, drive, a commute. You can get stuck in traffic with it and not feel like you're in a penalty box that is a very important aspect of this car for, for sure and you know there are a lot of there are a lot of great or i don't know if great's the word there are a lot of very good crossovers and suvs in the compact segment but most of them aren't luxury uh you know like vehicles like the ford escape and and the nissan rogue and whatnot <laughs> the, the the rav4 the crv these are all very good functional purpose-built vehicles that are affordable but, but they're but anonymous seems... they're anonymous for for one like they're yeah but but that's okay because they're they're designed to be appliances but once you step okay. up into the luxury segment you should get something more and i feel okay. like most of the time you don't i don't think an x3 is any better necessarily than a top tier ford escape i think in terms of be onto something. that's a very I mean, bold argument and i'm going to back you up on that i agree 100 that you should be getting something fancier than the mainstream version of the car. Yeah, I mean, a, a, an Escape and an X3, a four-cylinder X, X3 versus a four-cylinder Escape are probably just as quick as each other. The handling is is very comparable. The interior is probably nicer in the Ford. And you're going to get more infotainment goodies and crazy stuff like that in the Ford as well. So why are you buying the BMW? I guess it's for the badge. When, exactly. when you buy when you buy the Volvo or when you buy the, the, the Infiniti QX50, you get a really great interior. Hmm. Uh, what just just truly excellent, and that's something you're not finding from the Germans right now. It's just in that space, 
they're just not interesting luxury vehicles. And I don't see the the appeal of paying the premium for them when you could go to a, a quote-unquote regular showroom and get something that's just as good for like $20,000 less. Or, or maybe or maybe the same money or, or, or a little bit less depending on how high you spec it. But it's it's just a very – there's not that divide like there is with sedans or coupes. Mm-hmm. I want to take us on a little bit of a tangent if you don't mind. Um, still on the XC40, but I want to talk about the differences that happen when you drive a car for the first time uh, for like a day and then you get it a few months later um, for a week. And I've had this experience happen too where your where your opinion changes um, either positively or negatively um, uh, based on that change, that change in time. Do you mind you know, explaining what you thought about the vehicle when you first drove it back in – I think it was it was December actually. Well, well, Sammy, as you know, it's very hard for me to travel with a group of tires. Um, I can't necessarily check my tires when I get to the airport. Even when you're, uh, what status is that? That's uh, Michelin Man status. <laughs> yeah, Michelin Man status. It doesn't, it doesn't work on all airlines. And automakers, they hate it when I show up with like four tires in my bags, and they have to, they have to help me carry them. And everyone's complaining they smell bad, and it's just, it's an overpowering smell, Sammy. That, yeah, that much rubber. Yeah, headaches from it. And and the, it ruins the cleaning deposit on the hotel room. So that I alone, love that. I, I love seeing you roll in these tires like two on top of each other. You're just like scooting them around, but uh, it's always the weirdest thing to see in in a hotel. You're just carrying these tires around. So I wasn't able to take my tires with me to to mm-hmm. Spain and when I drove the car. So that necessarily limits the amount of testing I can do for the cargo area. But but um, it's it's just when you're driving. At a media event, I think what people don't necessarily realize who haven't attended is that these are highly managed experiences where you're put on specific roads that are designed to make the vehicle look as good as possible. Um, It's designed to highlight what the automaker wants to highlight about it. And you don't necessarily get a lot of wheel time. Sometimes you could be driving for an hour, sometimes only two hours. There are events where we drive all day. Yeah, but uh, they're they're not as common as the ones where you maybe drive for an hour and a half in the morning and then an hour and a half in the afternoon because you're sharing your driving time with other journalists. So you can develop an impression of the vehicle in that amount of time. You're also embedded with engineers, stylists, designers, the people who were involved in producing that vehicle. So mm-hmm. that gives you context. But when you have a vehicle uh, for a week. You're on your own time. You can drive it anywhere you want. You can get stuck in traffic and and feel how frustrating that is. You can fill it up to the brim with people, uh, see how it accelerates with five passengers. You can can try to fit real-world cargo in it instead of like a canoe that they give you at the side of a lake because you're driving a pickup. You you can actually – the stuff you would haul. For me, it's tires. I mean I don't know if you noticed yet. Sammy's always pointing out that I'm hauling tires. He likes to make me feel self-conscious about the fact that I have a tire fetish. You have a ton um, of tires. That's all. And I don't have (laughs) – like whenever I have more than say – uh, two sets of tires. I actually have three sets of tires right now. I feel like anxious. Like I don't know what I'm gonna do with this third set of tires. I don't know what's going on with them. Well, you I would get rid of them. You would have a coronary in my basement. But um, <laughs> I I haul a lot of tires. I haul a lot of car car parts. Um, also guarding supplies, that kind of stuff. You yeah. know, and that kind of stuff's bulky and it doesn't always fit well. So you get a chance to try that out as well. And you also get real world fuel economy, which you never get in an event. So all these things together. Um, you have time to obsess about things you don't like, and you have time to figure out things that maybe you didn't understand when you first drove the vehicle, like a system that maybe was a little too complicated to learn in the hour and a half you were driving for safety or for infotainment or that kind of thing. So that's really, for me, that's the difference. Sammy, what's it like for you? For me, it's going through some of the uh, experiences that you will never have on a press trip. And I mean that in the least interesting way. Um, when I have a car and I park it in my in my condo's garage, it's a very different experience than parking in any possible um, media event where there are tight corners and you have to know exactly how the car will turn in and turn around, how it will park, how the, what the visibility or camera sensors are like when you're in a, in a very tightly enclosed place. And then on the opposite end of that, when I go into the Auto Guide office, I have to I have to commute through some alleyways. I have to go into um, a very steep um, en- uh, entrance ramp, and I have to know how to handle that kind of situation. And if the car makes me feel comfortable during some quite mundane things to do while driving, some cars don't actually you know 
make you feel comfortable in those situations. You'll feel claustrophobic. You'll feel uncomfortable, like you're driving something that won't fit in a place that a car should fit. Um, additionally, I love seeing the reaction of people during a week um, in a vehicle. Uh, so when you when I mean that, I mean what type of people are looking at it when I when I'm in the middle of an intersection or when I'm picking up my friends or, you know, drop by my parents' place. What kind of thoughts and impressions do they have when they take a look at something? When it comes when it comes to the XC40, this is a car that, like you said, is attractive at first glance, but I think the more you drive it, the more you want to look at it. It's a it captures your gaze very well because it's hard to find an angle that's really, really bad on it. The only thing that maybe the rear end is a little boring, where it's a little flat and just this Volvo XC40, but honestly, that's a perfectly fine thing to do. It's the back end of a vehicle. You're not going to be staring at it all that much. You, you know, you got me thinking about when you said special situations, um, wintertime mm -hmm. is another really big thing, I think, when I test vehicles for a week, because we do occasionally do winter drives, but those are the most managed experiences you can possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, those tires are pumped up to a certain PSI, and uh, maybe even they have some studded tires as well, which yeah, aren't always just, legal in, in every um, region. But not just that. Most of the time when an automaker takes you to a winter drive location, it's to drive on a closed circuit. Yeah. We don't often do press events in the middle of winter because winter sucks. <laughs> so uh, it's cold. There's snow. It's hard to do photos. Um, so when I have a vehicle here and I'm driving, my week-long uh, loans are the ones where I'm going to be driving it for the first time in snow and ice. Mm -hmm. And that, that will tell you a lot about a vehicle dynamically, but it'll also tell you about stuff like the snow fall into it every time I open the door. Oh, yeah, uh, I hate that. Yes. Do my pants get wet because of slush and stuff yep. like that? Um, what, what parts of the car get super dirty? because of um snow and ice and salt uh, so all of that is, is what is about really the what about well. the cameras those parking cameras or, oh yeah or parking sensors, cameras that right? some of them some of them work some of them don't it, it's all uh, it, don't forget that a lot of uh vehicle design decisions are not necessarily made in detroit <laughs> but they're made in california <laughs> where things are awesome all the time and you test in the desert and it's super hot and there's you know you don't have to worry about road salt and crusting everything i mean they, they do do winter testing for sure, obviously, that's an important part of what's done. But a lot of the safety gear just doesn't work in inclement weather. This is actually really worth pointing out. Uh, I want to change gears and talk about another vehicle, the Q50 and Q60. Now, Ben and I were on a on a drive program of the Q60 a long time ago, and remember talking. I remember talking to you about the direct adaptive steering. It didn't feel um, all too engaging, but you know, it put the car in the right direction and it never really got like, uh, it never really messed anything up. Do you know what I mean? I like how you said, put the car in the right direction. <laughs> it's the most, most roundabout way you can describe steering a vehicle. I think. <laughs> well, my colleague, um, at auto guide, his name is Craig Cole. He recently drove, I think it was a Q60 and the way the direct adaptive steering worked on some of the grooved pavement in Detroit threw him for a loop. It did not, it did ju it just was not, it was, it felt like it was incompatible. Like it was on the wrong kind of surface in every possible way. And he said he felt so, so out of place, um, on the road with these kinds of, with this steering system in this, um, in this road surface that he would not recommend it for anybody in that situation. And I don't remember having that exact strong feelings against the Q60, but Having that time to spend it in, a, in your localized environment where you can compare um, all the cars that you've driven on the same roads is also very fortunate after a week of driving. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with you there. And you're right. The fuel economy, man, no one fills up. You don't have to fill up a car with gas on a, on a media event. Um, and you definitely do during your week-long test. Yeah, and you know, it's not because we're necessarily being coddled on media events, although we definitely are being no, coddled. No, it's just a limited amount of driving. Yeah, you're not shit. driving enough to empty a tank. On a racetrack, you'll run out of gas for sure. Yeah, I've, I've seen that happen. But but in regular driving, it's just, just not an issue. And that's another thing. I mean, during the media events with the tracks, that shows a whole different aspect of the car, which can make it that make it shine, truly shine. But then when you're not spending enough time on the roads or in, in real-world situations, it's a completely different experience. And I also like taking cars to the track myself mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, when you go to a racetrack, they're, they're, the car companies are they, – they swap out the tires when they start to get 
used up. They replace the brake pads. They replace the brake fluid. They do everything that you're supposed to do to keep the car well maintained. So when I pick up a press car, uh, it's not it's not the same kind of situation. When I go to the track, obviously I check everything out myself to make sure the tread is good, that I have enough pad, that I that the fluid is isn't old, whatever. Um, but I don't have a, a team maintaining the car at the track with me. So sometimes you you find things that you wouldn't discover in a press event situation. Like I had a um, a Ford Focus RS a few years ago where I went to the racetrack and after four or five laps of driving, all of a sudden the car felt terrible, <laughs> just absolutely terrible. And I had a, a check engine light come on. My first thought was, have I forgotten completely how to drive? Because the dynamics of the vehicle were just so out there. I pulled into the pits and after cycling through the fairly complicated Ford information system to find out what that check engine light was for, it told me that the rear differential fluid had overheated and it had shut down the all-wheel drive system. Uh, and this is interesting because on the RS, there's a temperature it's a temperature sensor for the differential fluid at the rear of the car, but it doesn't just detect temperature in the moment. What it does is it keeps track of temperature over time. So if the temperature has, if the car feels like it's been abused in the sense that it's been having a high differential temperature over and over and over again, it lowers the window within which you can operate at high temperatures. So the car I was driving had mm -hmm. been abused by previous journalists. And as such, I only got a few laps before that system kicked in and I had to pull into the pits, let it cool down and go back out again. I would never have known about any of that if I'd gone to a racetrack right. under Ford's supervision with brand new fluid in the car. Right. So this is kind of, it was an interesting way for me to see, you know, oh, here's how Ford is managing this particular aspect of the vehicle. Um. I think that's what we got for our test drives this week, though. Do you want to talk about some of the – there's some actually really crazy news going on in the industry right now. Um, I wanted to talk with something that I just saw pop up on uh, jalopnik.com, which is uh, they've done a really thorough investigation and, and some solid journalism, I've got to say, about uh, Chevy Colorados. Have you seen yeah, this? Yeah, uh, I saw this piece by David Tracy talking about how basically if you're on a – fairly easy off-road trail or a gravel road or a fire road in your Colorado, ZR2, Z71, it doesn't matter, the side airbags are just going to pop in your face, just oh, out of the blue. That's terrifying. Yeah. That's like a worse nightmare. That's Is that worse than airbags not going off? I don't know, because <laughs> you might never know <laughs> on that last one. But... Um, so there's there's actual Jalopnik says that they got tips about this back in May, but they have an actual video of it happening on the site, and it will include a link to the story in if you look in the links for this podcast on our web website unimmedautomotivepodcast.com in the link <laughs> section you can check out the the actual video. But honestly, this guy driving is doing the most milk toast hill climb you can imagine at maybe six seven degrees of angle. Yeah, and the airbag just goes off. It just explodes. Mm -hmm. And then the the Jalopnik goes on to show many many other photos of this happening. Um, it happened to KBB while they were testing the vehicle at seven miles an hour on a fire road. Yeah, it just it just went off. So clearly there's a problem. Clearly this is not normal behavior. Uh, Sammy, I'm I'm shocked that this is kind of thing is happening, and I'm shocked that there's we, we're we're reading that some of the instances uh, Chevy has given a little bit of a fight in terms of replacing the airbags and fixing the damage done by the um, explosion because when the when the airbags go off, it also the seatbelt tensioners tensioners lock. You can't use the seatbelts anymore, so you can't drive the car safely, basically. Yeah. And uh, they've been kind of pushing back on owners who are like, hey, this is a problem. Please repair my car. And I think Chevy's been saying, well, you were off-road, so who knows what you were doing. Uh, what do you think about that? I'm really not on board with Chevy's response to that. I mean, it, that this bugs me because the ZR2 is designed to do things that are far more hardcore than going up a trail at oh, maybe I've, two kilometers, two or three miles per hour. I've jumped the ZR2 at 60 miles an hour multiple times. Did the airbags go up? No, they did not, and I'm so happy they didn't. And it didn't feel dangerous. Like, it didn't feel – like, even that – that's something that's kind of crazy that most people are probably not going to do with the truck. Mm -hmm. But the truck felt totally capable of doing it. Like, it wasn't at its limits when I was doing that. That's uh, – and what bugs me is <clears throat> is that in the story, there's a there's a quote from a Chevy spokesperson who said, we are aware of this situation happening on rare occasions. The reason it would occur is that head curtain airbags are designed to deploy if the sensing system predicts the vehicle is about to roll onto its side. 
man, I'm looking at these videos of these cars, and based on the reports from fellow journalists at KBB, there's no. It seems like there's no reason the car would ever ever predict that the car would roll onto its side no these are not rollover conditions i mean it's certainly not in the video that we watched uh and certainly not in in what kvb was doing i i in the story tracy also includes a repair estimate from gm of sixty five hundred dollars to fix the damage that was done to a customer's zr2 during the exact same situation okay that is not a small amount of money to just absorb on your own when you bought a fifty thousand dollar truck you thought was going to be a hardcore off-road machine this is insane. Like, I'm I'm really getting frustrated by this because will that also allow your car to get back on the road? I always thought when the airbags go off or those seatbelts being locked up that it can't quite be back on the – it can't be roadworthy again, can it? Am well, I mistaken? It, it's going to depend on your insurance company. Right. But uh, the, the, basically most totals happen because a certain amount of damage has occurred that is not fiscally prudent to repair. So if you damage the vehicle for more than it's worth – then they're not going to repair the vehicle at that point. They're going to buy another vehicle, a replacement vehicle. But uh, if, if it's $6,500 of damage, that's just, what, 12 13% of the purchase price and probably the value of the vehicle because uh, these are still very new trucks. I think that you could still uh, – you would still – your insurance company is probably not going to cover you because it wasn't an accident. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. this is a failure of the vehicle itself. So I don't think they're going to total you out, but at the same time, they're not going to make you whole. This is this is not right. And GM has refused to cover certain repairs as well. And yeah. that seems really tough. Like I, I really don't know how to how to come away with this with a positive response. Well, uh, what I'm hopeful for, what I'm hopeful will happen is that General Motors realizes we have a problem with these trucks. We're going to do a recall to fix the problem, whether it's a sensor, whatever it is, whether they need to reprogram the software that determines when a rollover is going to happen. If you look in the past, Nissan had a similar problem with its trucks, the Frontier, the Titan, and the Xterra. And if you go to their website, their 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 website for Nissan Mechanics that talks about various recalls and repairs and whatnot, they have a reprogramming uh, procedure for those vehicles, those, okay. those SUVs and trucks that is specifically designed to fix the logic in the rollover sensing. Uh, uh, they call it rollover sensing calibration logic. Um, and it, it fixed the problem for them. So this isn't a new issue in the industry, but this is it's a new issue for GM in a truck that is, is supposed to be their major off-road player. Well, yeah, like uh, some of these people here are saying, I didn't pay $50,000 to pull a fuse out of a truck. I mean... No, I mean, you shouldn't have to do that. That's a kludge. Uh, but you know, recall campaigns are expensive. GM's going to eventually, in the end, what they'll do is weigh whether it costs more for them to deal with these uh, repairs on a goodwill basis, or whether it will cost more for them to recall all the trucks, put in the new programming, and not worry about it. This is tough. I mean, if I just spent money on a on an off road vehicle and doing the least hardcore thing in it. Um, and the airbags went off, I would feel really sh- like I was ripped off. And uh, <laughs> I think that's the that's the simplest thing to say about it. There's there's a, one, one more thing that uh, I wanted to cover this week, Sammy, in the news. And I don't think we're going to talk too much about it, but uh, it's, a, it's the end of an era part two as the Volkswagen Beetle disappears from the, 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 the world, I guess. It's, it's gone. <laughs> okay, so hold up. Is this the new Beetle or the new new Beetle? Which one is going away? They, like, <laughs> uh, I don't know how to answer that question. I mean, it's the 2019 is going to be the final edition, and there's going to be a vinyl, final edition version of the Beetle. Um, and this isn't the last time we've seen the Beetle go away. I believe in 2010, it was the last time we saw um, the, the new generation Beetle that spanned from, I think, 2002. 2010 i think that might be the length of the generation um and then before that we hadn't seen new beetles for a while isn't that isn't that correct i i guess you could say that uh it's it's the i'm I'm looking at the article right now and um it says never say never (laughs) is what the ceo of volkswagen america has said about a new generation beetle but no one was buying them. I mean, yeah. it's too bad because the current one is good. The most recent one, yeah, it's it, it was much better. It looks and good too. I actually don't mind its uh, its looks at all. I think that um, that two thousands one was really um, it was an acquired taste in terms of the design. Um, well, it was of its it was of its time. It was very much that retro flavor that was sweeping the industry at that time. You got mm-hmm. the PT Cruiser and the SSR and 
the HHR, RR, HHSSR. Yeah, just give me um, some. Everyone knows what you're talking about. They know. <laughs> but uh, I think that the, the problem for Volkswagen is a lot of that nostalgia got soaked up. Mm-hmm. And they ended up with a Beetle that was in exactly the same segment as the Golf. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the Golf's really good. So I don't know how many people were, like, looking at the Golf and looking at the Beetle and being like, no, nah, I want – I'm still, I'm still, you know, swing dancing on the weekends and listening to Real Big Fish and – I, I, I want a retro car to reflect my retro personality. So that might have had something to do with it. Now, the problem I have is it's like an iconic – it's an iconic product and nameplate for Vol, for Volkswagen. Now, I know that doesn't really mean much because we see iconic nameplates coming back in really uninspiring ways. Where's like, the Thunderbird Ford? Where's the Thunderbird? Or Mitsubishi's Eclipse, for example. Oh. Um and uh, that doesn't mean all that much, but I don't know. I thought maybe Vol- Volkswagen. Sorry, I keep mixing Vol- Volvo and Volkswagen right now. Uh, I keep thinking Volkswagen will will want to do right by that old nameplate, and it seems like that just might not be the case. I don't. I don't think there's any room for nostalgia and emotion in the auto industry, especially when you're Volkswagen, who's been embattled so much over the last couple of years for various other issues. Uh, I, I think that they're just cutting a vehicle that didn't sell well, and if it wasn't called a Beetle, no one would care. I think you might be right there, but I I think, you know, emotion is a very important factor when it comes to cars. Not when it comes to buying cars, but maybe when it comes to getting rid of a car. Um, and I think a lot of people might have really interesting memories associated with the, the nameplate of the Beetle, and to yeah. see it put to pasture would be – is a shame. You know, like Ford killing pretty much every nameplate it has. <laughs> <laughs> Except for its most iconic one, which is the Mustang. Well, an emotional tsunami of pain. <laughs> I mean, that's, our, you know? that's the subtitle of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. An emotional, <laughs> an emotional tsunami of pain. <laughs> So uh, if you would if you would like to experience more waves of searing agony for your ears, oh, uh, we're not how, that bad, are we? You can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com where all nearly 100 episodes are waiting oh, for man. you to dis- yeah waiting for you to discover. Um, and if you like and, what you hear, you can also use some buttons over at the website to subscribe to our podcast. Um, we're on. What are we on? We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play Music, on Google Podcasts. We're on iTunes. We're on Pocket Casts. What am I missing? Everything. I think that's all of Everything. It. Cast it all. Every cast thing has us out there. You can find us. You can listen right on the website, but if you don't want to do that, there's tons, like Sammy said, tons of other ways to get us in your earious. Um, <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that too. Sammy likes the human cesspool that is Twitter. You can reach him at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. I prefer Instagram because people are just nicer. And you can get me at Hunting Benjamin, or you could email me the old-fashioned way, either Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com, or we have a form on our website where you click it and you fill it out and you send us your thoughts. We love reading what you have to say. We love answering your questions. And we love any suggestions you might have about what you want us to talk about in the future. Yeah, and next week we've got some really interesting cars to talk about. I can't actually share any information about them right now, but I promise you're going to love the stories that come out of next week's it's podcast. gonna be a super duper podcast i think so. <laughs> i think you're onto something and uh, i can actually talk about what i'm driving i'm gonna be heading to the arctic ocean behind the wheel of a chevrolet silverado the Look. new silverado so uh i'm pretty excited about that i haven't driven the silverado yet just the denali which we've talked about at length on a recent podcast and i'm curious to compare the two of them and to see what the arctic is like just before it gets really 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 cold (laughs) (laughs) and i can't wait for you to corner a chevrolet canada spokesperson and ask them what the deal is with these popping airbags well i'm hoping (laughs) that i don't you know bank the truck 20 degrees it's a silverado it's fine not a colorado All right. All right. So uh, once again, thank you for listening, and we hope to uh, see you or listen or speak to you all next time. Take care.